who we are, who we are, and what we have in Christ. At the time in history that Paul wrote this, Christians were on the run. Christians were on the run. Christians were on the run. They had no rights and they were in great danger. Paul actually wrote this letter while on house arrest in Rome. And despite his circumstances, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus describing the fullness and richness of life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understood what it meant to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church, our city and our world would never be the same. Never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us online. And uh, thank you for bringing your Bibles and being ready to study. And I want to tell you, I'm so, again, so grateful to our youth ministry, to our youth worship leaders, and uh, just the work that they're doing there. Pray for them. School starts back this week for many of them, some next week. But in the school starting back also is the returning of faces and the opportunity that we'll have to be in their lives and be a part of worship and what's going on with them. So I'm going to open us up in prayer. After I pray, I'd like for us to get into the book of Ephesians. And today, it's Ephesians 5.18. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, we've been able to hear about your goodness and the, all the things that you did for us. So that we could have life for all the ways that you loved us and you showed your love for us. You, you demonstrated it tangibly so that we could be not strangers and aliens and enemies of God. But literally we could be children of God, co-heirs with Christ, redeemed, set in the heavenly places, made righteous. God, I pray that we will not take for granted what you've done, that we would not be apathetic about what you've commanded, but Father, we would be an eager, zealous, hungry, passionate people for the cause of Christ. Lord, we do love you. Lord, we confess we want to love you more. Father, we demonstrate our love, but we want to even show more how much we love you. God, I thank you that you've given us a love for our community. But Lord, I pray that that love would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got to be filled with the Spirit. That's what the Scripture says this morning. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that is coming in this section coming on the heels of Paul commanding us to be, um, live a life that's pure, and now he is offering to us some further instructions about how to live this God life. 
Now remember some of the things that I tell you oftentimes with Scripture. When you approach a passage of Scripture, is there a question to answer? Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin to confess or avoid? Is there an attitude I need to change? Or is there a prayer that I need to pray as a result of the encounter with the Scripture that I've had this morning? And I will tell you in this passage right here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, there are commands. The first command to us is do not be drunk with wine. It's there, it's clear, not a question. God said it, that settles it, and church needs to say, Amen. That's what the Word says. So we have to embrace that. We could disagree with it, but you're disagreeing with God, and that puts us in a bad place. So that is a command that we need to obey. Now, the second command in this passage is for us to be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, how is that a command? Well, we're going to look at that in just a moment. But as much as one is a command to the negative, do not, the other one is a command to the positive to be something, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is there a command to obey? Yes, there is. There may be an attitude for some of us to change. Maybe we've got an attitude about being drunk with wine. The scripture would be there. We would need to change it. Maybe we have an attitude about, I don't want to use the phrase fill with the Holy Spirit because that conjures up some images in my mind or whatever. I may need to change my attitude. Is there a sin to confess? I don't know what you did last night, but there might be. You might need to say, oops, Lord, <laughs> now that I know that, I've, not, I've got something I need to confess to you. But listen to me. And that would be real easy for the church to jump on. But if it's a command to do not do one thing, and it's a command to do another thing, if I'm not filled with the Spirit, there's a sin to confess. And I think that's where in the church we get in trouble sometimes. We always look for what the other person or the other individuals are or are not doing, and then we decide what we're going to be for or against. The Scripture says to take the whole counsel of the Word of God, to read it, ingest it, obey it, and this morning, that's what it tells us to do. So if we look at this book of Ephesians, and we call it a blueprint, a blueprint is a map, a guide to how we need to build our lives, there are seven times in this book, six chapters, 155 verses, written to the church at Ephesus, that Paul tells us to walk. It's called the seven walks of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.2, he says, do not walk like you used to according to the world system. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, I want you to walk in good works. In Ephesians 4.1 he says, I want you to walk worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4, 17, he says, don't walk in the futility of your mind. In other words, your, heart, your mind and your heart will lead you astray. Walk in submission to the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5, 2, it says, walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8 says, walk as children of light. And then Ephesians 5, 15, the introduction to the passage that we're reading this morning or learning from this morning says, for us to walk wisely it is wise to be filled with the holy spirit it is wise to walk according to the counsel of scripture it is wise to walk submitted surrendered obedient to god he says walk wisely it is not wise to be drunk with wine he says so i want you to do this this morning church this is the direction i want you to go so if we're going to take that one passage, and there again, let me read it to you. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Spirit, then I want us to dissect that and begin to understand the ways that God is teaching us in grace, mercy, and love and not in condemnation. So the first thing that we find is there's an interesting comparison. What are the comparison? What is the comparison? The comparison is inebriated, drunken, compared to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he starts out, he says, here's a comparison. And from the comparison, I want to teach you something. The first thing about the comparison we need to understand is that there is a choice. When someone decides to become drunk with wine, they make a choice. They make a choice to obtain the alcoholic beverage. They make a choice to open it. They make a choice to consume it. They make a choice to drink it to excess to the point that they are now not in full control of their faculties. But listen to me. Just as that is a choice, and it's a choice that we all would make every day in one way or another, there's a choice there also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, God is not going to force himself on you. God is going to present himself to you. Remember earlier in the book of Ephesians, we said that God planned it, Jesus purchased it, and the Holy Spirit presented it, meaning salvation, to you, the God life. And God does not walk in here today and say, everybody in this room, now is the time. What he absolutely says is, here I am, and I love you with an everlasting love. Here I am. I'm willing to be the sacrifice for your sin. Here I am. Will you choose me? And you see, at that moment that you choose God, at that moment that you choose the God life, at that moment that you surrender to salvation, you get 100% of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit consumes you. You get all of Him. The question is not did you get all of God, but did God get all of you? And therein lies the command, be filled. It's a choice. God comes to reside in me at the moment of salvation forevermore. But every day I must choose to be surrendered to Him. So the first thing that we see in this comparison is there's a choice. There's another thing that we see in this comparison. It's not just a choice, it's a change. Have you ever been around someone that was inebriated, intoxicated? Their behavior begins to change. Sometimes loud people become quiet. Other times quiet people become very loud. Sometimes people that are very stoic become giggly. Sometimes people that are very giggly go to sleep. We say things we shouldn't say. We get liquid courage is what it's called, right? Little people go try to beat up really big people. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. People who would not endanger someone else's life, life gets in the car behind a wheel and they drive. It creates a change. But I want to tell you something. When you choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it will change you. Yesterday, we were whitewater rafting. And we got to a place in the water that um, it had a downward suction to it. I got stuck in that water. I couldn't come up. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. And I was down there remembering the safety speech. Don't panic. Don't fight. It'll kick you out in just a second. Nose up, toes up. Just sit there. It'll happen. I was thinking all of that. 
But after a moment, I got to thinking, hey, God, I remember what I said. Hey, God, remember what I did. I was confessing sins because I thought heaven was next. When I came out of that water, there was only one thing left to confess, and it was a word I said when I finally got out. It was like, "Woo! thank you, Lord. But hear me, when somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, as much as there's a change in the life of the person who is intoxicated, there begins to be a change in the life of the person who is submitted to Christ. You begin to ask, is there a command to obey? You begin to ask, Lord, is there a sin to confess? You begin to search out attitudes that you may need to change. You may realize there's some praise you need to offer. And God begins to change. The person that doesn't have self-control begins to have self-control. Galatians 5, through the Spirit of self-control. God, do this to me. So yes, there's a choice. There's a choice. You choose God. There's a change. And I want to tell you, you need to look at your life. You need to mark your life. You need to watch your life. If you're not seeing changes in your life, in your behavior, in your attitude, in your actions, whatever, if you're not seeing changes, then you need to sit down and take a spiritual inventory. God, why am I walking with you every day and I'm not being transformed by the renewing of my mind? Because the Spirit says that God in you transforms you. And so if you're stuck in the same place, then God, why? Am I born again? God, why am I choosing not to be repentant? God, why am I choosing not to forgive? God, why have I decided that I want to be the boss of my life? And he tells us, don't do this, but do that. So there's a choice, there's a change, there's a challenge. And what is the challenge? If I sat here today on this stage... And I decided to become intoxicated. It would last for a moment. Do you agree with me? It would, to, according to the amount that I consumed, would determine partially the length of my intoxication. At some point, my intoxication would wear off, and what would I have to do? Hang over, drink more. Somebody's got experience. Uh, <laughs> so, so hallelujah for honesty in the church house. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's a great answer. There would be, there would be this. But if I wanted to continue to be intoxicated, I would have to continue to consume. You see, at that moment of salvation, man, Jesus comes in my heart and I'm all about God. I'm like, God in the morning, God at lunch, God at dinner, God at bedtime, God when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's all about that. But pretty soon, that, that initial infusion of God begins to be familiar. Or that initial infusion is met with disappointment. Or that disappointment is met, or that initial infusion is met with hurt or, or betrayal. And now all of a sudden, that Jesus high that I felt at the moment of my salvation, or like JP at the moment of his baptism, has got to be refueled. That's why it says for me to be filled. To continue to be filled. 
So I've got to get in the Word. I've got to cry out in prayer. I've got to hang out with other believers. I've got to serve God. I've got to look for ways to recharge my Jesus battery, my, my God battery, my surrendered life battery. And I can tell you, it will hit you over and over and over again. One day you'll wake up and you'll say, man, I remember when there was fire. Man, I remember when there was passion. I remember when I stepped close to sin, I backed up. And now all of a sudden, I don't. So there is a choice. There is a change. There is a challenge. And the challenge is to be filled because it is temporary. When you study the Bible, when you come and you begin to look at salvation, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells you. But to be filled with the Spirit is something else altogether. I feel certain that when Peter was walking beside Jesus and they were having the conversation and Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, well done. That could have only been revealed to you by God. I'm sure at that moment that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But that same Peter that had that conversation that said the entire church is going to be built on the truth that just came out of your mouth, that same Peter was the one that when Jesus looked at him and said, Hey, I'm going to the cross, he said, Not my Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to him? Jesus looked at him in a very harsh manner and said, Satan, you get behind me. It is a temporary action. It's a daily choice. Sometimes it's a multiple times in the day choice. But nonetheless, there is a challenge there, and we must rise to the challenge. But you know what? There's also a contrast. When a person is drunk with wine, that means that they lose control. Absolutely. Let me tell you this. Some people who do consume alcohol in excess do so that so they can forget, do so that so they don't worry, do so because they want to avoid a problem that's happening in life. It's there. And it's in our lives. And it's a contrast. But let me tell you something. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it, we are now... How did one man say it? When the Spirit is in control, the believer is not out of control. When the believer is cons or the person is consumed with alcohol, you lose control... But when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He takes control, but you don't get out of control. You're now living and asking wise choices. You're making and have the ability to make wise decisions in your life. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor, said that one another thing about the difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being intoxicated is he said that alcohol is a depressant. He, and this is how he said it. He has a fascinating discussion in this whole area, and he does not, and he points out the fact that alcohol depresses the key areas of the brain that affect your judgment, that affect your understanding, that affect your reasoning. How many times have you been or had the conversation with the person who became under the control of alcohol the night before, and the next day they woke up and said, I did what? Because in the moment out of control it felt right it felt good it felt like the choice that should be made but when you're no longer under the control you're like 
Oh my goodness. You don't wake up with regrets when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You may still wake up and say, what did I do? (laughs) And why did I do it? But you know that God led you there. You're under control. It's He's in control. So it's just here it is. We have an interesting comparison. We have a positive command. There is a command to obey here. It is the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just do a little bit of a word study here, uh, understanding the Greek language. The first thing that we understand about that word, it is in the imperative. And the imperative means it's a command. It's not optional for the believer. It's not something that as a believer I can say, I may or may not want to do that. No, if I'm going to be an obedient follower of Christ, the first thing I have to understand is that God said, you must do this. But it's not just to me a command. It's also in the present tense. Um, It's in the imperative present tense. The present tense in the Greek language simply means this, that it is an ongoing continuous action that at the moment that I realize that's not what's happening in my life, then I go back to that place and I cry out to God, do it again. Fill me, Lord. Show me what caused the feeling to, to leave me. How do I respond, God? What do I need to do? It's imperative. It's a command. It's in the present tense, meaning that it needs to be ongoing. But not only that, it's passive. Now, the passive side of it means this. It's not something you can induce or manipulate yourself. So the question becomes, how do I do only what can be done to me? Does that make sense? How do I do it if it's not something that I can manipulate, but God does it? And that's what the Scripture teaches. So it's not just that it's imperative, a command. It's continuous. It's passive. But it's also plural. It's the command there for the church to figure out how to be filled with the Spirit together. That's work. That's relationship. That's walking side by side. That's you're my brother, you're my sister, take me by the hand. We're going to have to learn how to walk and we're going to have to learn how to stand. Because we are the body of Christ. And we've already seen in other studies that the body of Christ separated from the body of Christ is easily devoured. That's why this, the scripture would say that when there's a hundred sheep and one goes astray, Jesus will leave the 99 to go get the one because we need rescuing. And I don't care if you've walked with God a minute or a hundred years. If you cut yourself from the herd, if you will, you can easily be devoured by the tempter, by Satan. It is there. We need the church. We need each other. And he says it's a command. It needs to be ongoing. You can't do it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. He says, but what I want you to do is come together and figure out how to do this thing. That's why in the month of August, we're going to focus on life groups. Starting next week, life together. Helping one another walk in the body of Christ. And we're going to do that. So, look at it. Here we go. It's a comparison. It's a command. But he also states for us... A desired consequence. How do I do this? I can give you what is my practice in a day. Sometime in the early part of my day. It will not always be the first part. 
It may not even be in the first 30 minutes, but somewhere in the first part of my day. And sometimes throughout the day, depending what's going on. I pause for a moment and I say, God, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for living in my heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in my life. Thank you that you have a plan for me and you want to guide me in that plan. It becomes just a very simple conversation. It begins with gratitude. It begins with praise. It begins with thanksgiving. And then, Holy Spirit, today I want to yield my mind to you, my eyes to you, my ears to you, my lips to you, my hands to you, my feet to you, my heart to you. Holy Spirit, today I want to yield my total being to you. And then that is a journey and an exciting thing that I can tell you. God will take you places you never thought you'd go. He will allow you to do things you never thought you would do. He will allow you to see people and meet people and greet people and hang out with people that you had no idea. And He will give you just what seemed like random chance encounters. But because you know God, you know they were planned before the foundation of the world. And God will do that in your life. So there is a desired consequence for me, for you, for us as believers. That desired consequence is not for me to tell God what I will do today, but for me to look at God and say, yes, sir, reporting for duty, what do you want me to do? Because here I am, and I want to be yours. So that desired consequence When you're happy in God, you're strong. When you're happy in God, you're brave. When you're happy in God, you will do things you never thought. Psalm 4, 7, and 8 says, You, O Lord, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grains and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. How many times in your life have you had that restless night, that tossing and turning? You just can't turn it off. You're fearing what's going to happen tomorrow, and you're regretting what happened yesterday. And you're just there. It's that moment, Psalm 4, 7, and 8. You, Lord, you, Lord, cause me to dwell in safety. You, Lord, as sovereign, have told me that you will cause all things to work together for my good. You, Lord, have told me that if I will love you and I'm called according to your purpose, you're there in me. And it may be a rough day. It may be a day you don't even want to look at, or it may be a day that you don't want to ever remember again. But sovereign God says that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that He will use you, He'll use your day, He will use your circumstances in another person's world. I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to go to the depths? (laughs) Are you willing to walk in the valley to help somebody else get out of it? We already talked a little bit about, while I'm down there, is there anybody I can help? But that's when you're there. What I'm talking about is this morning, are you willing to look at God and say, God, whatever it takes for my life to bring you glory, God, whatever it takes for me to be like you, God, whatever it takes for your name to be made famous, God, I am ready. I'm ready. Use me. But don't just use me, because sometimes I'll be like, hey, God, I got... 10, and I'm going to give you two, so I want you to use those two up. 
But what God says is, oh no, I gave you ten. I want you to lay ten on the table and let me expend all of them for my purpose. You see, there is a desired consequence. There's a desired thing. God, I want to be blessed by you. God, I want to be controlled by you. God, I want to be um, protected by you. I want to be provided for by you. Those are easy to say. But God, I'm willing to struggle. God, I'm willing to rewrite the story. God, I'm willing to, to let you do whatever you want. That's being filled with the Spirit. It's the desired, it should be what every believer desires. How do we do that? It's fullness through faith. Look at this. Luke says in, of Stephen in Acts 6, 5. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Do you see what preceded faith? Or full, full of the Holy Spirit? Faith preceded full of the Holy Spirit. But don't just stop there because there's another one. Look at this one. It's in Acts eleven twenty four, talking about Barnabas. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. In your life, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to happen in you what you can't do can only be done to you, there's a life of faith. Now listen to me. A life of faith is not a one-time choice. Oh, I'm going to have faith. No, a life of faith begins by making daily choices that says, God, I will trust you now. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, God, I will step out. When the Holy Spirit restrains you, God, I will step back. And we could go around this room and give testimonies of people that didn't step out when they should have and people that didn't back up when they should have. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God, I've got faith. I've got faith that you really do know the future that you have for me that is future with a promise and a hope. God, I really do believe that you're going before me. God, I really do believe that your discipline is good. God, I really do believe that you can cause my pain to bring you honor. God, I'm here today. Lord, use it. In Romans 15, 13, Paul states, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So Stephen could have hope when he was being stoned because the God of all hope was filling him with power. He wasn't excited about the rocks flying towards him. In fact, he was probably like, yikes! But in that moment, his hope was in. He knew that God had a greater purpose. Now, you have to really look at his life in total to understand some of this. The scripture would tell us that whether he was actually actively participating, he was at least passively participating, talking about a man named Saul. Saul was there when this was happening. Saul has an encounter later on in the book of Acts where he is confronted with his sin and he finally says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? And man, that moment God used it to transform the life of Paul, which God then went on to use Paul to transform the lives of countless millions. God used me. Here I am. Hope is an essential part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to believe God is, as Paul says, the God of hope. Because listen to me. At the moment that you lose hope that God is hope, 
you're going to turn to false hope. I don't know what your false hope is. It may be a relationship. It may be an attitude. It may be a substance. It may be, and it may be, and it may be, and it may be. But at the moment God is not hope for you, something will become hope for you because God created you to seek out hope. Let me go back to this. Nobody stays full of the Holy Spirit all the time. No one is always totally joyful and submissive to God and empowered for service. But this should be your aim. This is where the, the, the sights need to be set. God, I blew it. Your mercy is new today. God, today my aim is set on being surrendered. My aim is set on being filled. My aim is set on being repentant. My aim is set on being obedient. God, I, my aim is set on that you are hope. Because tomorrow I don't want to look for hope anywhere else but you. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What are you thirsty for today? You see, because everybody in here came in here thirsty. Some of you more thirsty than others. I've been watching you. But listen to me. In this context, thirsty is a good thing. Be thirsty for God. As the deer pants for the water. Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Who is he talking to there? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. He says, Soul, why are you downcast? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Man, my soul is killing me today. But God, why? And God, I hope in you. I hope in you. We must set our own soul We must set it before our soul. This buffet, if you will, of God's promises, of the promises He's made to us. We, may, we must feed our faith till it's full. Then I pray that it will be said of us, as it was of Stephen and Barnabas, that they were full of faith and they were full of the Holy Spirit. This morning, are you ready to be courageous? This morning, are you ready to cry out and say, God, anything in my life that's been ahead of you today, Lord, I want to put, it, I want to put you ahead of it. It's a choice. It's a challenge. But it has an amazing consequence. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things are added to you. Are you like David today? Oh, my soul, why are you upset? Oh, my soul, why is this in me? God, David is saying, stop it. And he's crying out to his soul, seek God. This morning, would you seek God? This morning, would you surrender your life? This morning, would you come running? This morning, would you kneel here and pray and say, Lord, I'm ready, I'm yours. This morning, as we prepare for uh, Pastor Russell to lead us in just a moment in the Lord's Supper. Are you ready for the Lord's Supper? Have you 
laid bare your life, your heart before him and said, God, here it is. And been like David and said, search me. That's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you.